From the Amazon to the Himalayas, God is accomplishing his mission. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. Stories and conversations with the global church and for the global church about the mission of God in the world. And now here is your host, Paul Aiken. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken, and in this episode, we're going to be having a conversation with Brooks Boozer from Radius International. Brooks serves as the president of Radius International. Radius is a missions organization committed to effectively training missionaries before they deploy and go and serve overseas. Brooks and his wife, Nina, served previously in Papua New Guinea, and we're going to hear a little bit more about his church planting and discipleship work there later in the episode. But in 2016, he and his family transitioned back to the States, back to the state of California, where they currently live and serve and train future missionaries. And so I'm so excited for you to hear from Brooks today. So Brooks, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Yeah, glad to be a part of it. Brooks, maybe let's start by just telling our listeners a little bit about you and your family. Yeah, my family. I have one son, Bo Buser, who's at Cal Baptist University now. He's, well, I should say he's with us due to all the COVID stuff, but we went to Papua New Guinea in 2003 and returned, like you said, in 2016. Uh, We've got a great boxer dog, which is, according to my wife, part of the family as well. Awesome. Awesome. Tell us, you mentioned uh, Papua New Guinea, going, moving there back in 2003, spending, you know, well over a decade there. So tell us a little bit about maybe your ministry and some of your missionary background. Yeah, my wife and I, we graduated from uh, college out here in the West Coast, David Jeremiah's school at the time. Uh, it was called Christian Heritage College, and we had no real desire to go into missions. I got a degree in business administration. Uh, my wife got a degree in counseling psychology, and we didn't know what we were going to do. Uh, we never got, uh, so to say, a, a missionary call. We we read our Bibles, and we became convinced that this is something that was on God's heart, and we wanted to do it. At the time, I was a chief financial officer for a Dutch company. I was working in Europe quite a bit, in Belgium and France. And uh, through that experience of just reading passages like Matthew 28, uh, Romans 10, Romans 15, and different aspects of understanding our Christianity, uh, we started to lean towards, hey, we should do something about these unreached people groups. And so we went off to training and we ended up heading to Papua New Guinea. Uh, We located among the Yembe Yembe people. And we had to build our house out of jungle materials. We built an airfield. Uh, there was two other missionary couples that were with us. It took us nine months to build the airfield, two years to learn their language to full fluency, to learn how they live, to go hunting. There's a lot of crocodiles in the river, a lot of boars. It was kind of a throwback to, the, I want to say, the 18th century. It was more like the Stone Age is what it felt like. And Uh, We stayed in there with them until we knew their language to full fluency and then taught them from creation all the way through to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And then we had the nucleus of a church starting, and we stayed for eight more years after that to see a full, strong New Testament church come into place there in Yembe And then during that time, we were translating the scriptures. We finished the New Testament and about half of the Old. uh, We continued to add books to the Old Testament throughout years. But uh, that finished right around 2015, and then 2016, we transitioned back here to the U.S. So that's that's in a nutshell what we did. 
That's pretty amazing. Uh, just kind of recounting all the preparation, all the work. I mean, yeah, like you mentioned, there's there's a lot that goes into that. And I'll just give kind of a quick plug here. There is a, a brief kind of documentary film that kind of tells some of that story, kind of shows some video and gives some more background on that. If you would just maybe share with our listeners a little bit about that documentary and kind of the name and where they might be able to find that. Yeah, there's David Jeremiah was helpful. He sent over some friends of his and they did a documentary on the day that the New Testament got dedicated in Yembe Yembe. The Yembe's are very expressive people. Uh, they, they're not like uh, what I would say American churches are like. They were pretty excited. Uh, there's a speech during the middle of that one of them got up and he said, we're for this book in our language. And so uh, we had that documented. You can go to yembyembe.org and that has the video on there. It's on Vimeo. Uh, it's for free. Just, yeah, it's a, a real testimony to God's grace in that situation. But it kind of builds to that point, how we started off, how we ended up living among the Yembies, and then finishes off with the New Testament dedication. So it's about a 30-minute video, if I remember right. But yeah, it, it helps some people to kind of understand what the process was. Praise the Lord. That's encouraging. So you mentioned Papua New Guinea. I think some people may be aware of that. You know, for those of us in North America, that probably seems on the other side of the world, and it is on the other side of the world. So for for our listeners who maybe are not as familiar with that part of the world, tell us a little bit about Papua New Guinea and what makes that place unique. Yeah, New Guinea is the second largest island in the world. A lot of people from previous generations will know it. That's where Douglas MacArthur turned back the Japanese in World War II. Uh, it was a big turning point for the Allies. The New Guineans love Australians and Americans specifically for that reason. There was a big turn of the tide and some things that happened there were really influential. New Guinea is also, it has the most distinct languages and cultures of any country on the face of the earth, just because uh, of geography and the lateness that independence came to them and a lot of infighting. So you've got nearly 800, maybe some will estimate close to 850 languages and cultures, distinct languages and cultures, not dialects. And so that's why there's a lot of missionaries that end up going to New Guinea or Irianjaya, which is just across the border. Now it's called West Papua. But yeah, it was a country that we looked at just because it had so many places that were either asking for missionaries or that we knew these were groups that had just been untouched by the gospel. So that, that's some of what makes it unique. And so obviously, as you were just sharing previously, you were able to kind of walk through the the breadth in many ways of the missionary task. I mean, you you entered into this place, you were able to share the gospel uh, disciple believers, gather them into church, train and equip leaders, and then uh, by God's grace, help uh, you know help them see their role in the Great Commission, take ownership of their role in the Great Commission to some degree. And now you've transitioned back to the U.S. to a little bit of a different type of role, but still very much involved in Great Commission work. And now you conduct a, a missionary training school, for lack of a better term, on the West Coast. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, the term is exactly right. We're not a sending agency. We are a 10-month missionary training school, and we're located 
just across the border from San Diego in the country of Mexico. Uh, we find that training missionaries for cross-cultural ministry in a cross-cultural situation has tremendous advantages, things that you cannot do or you can't replicate in the U.S. where everybody speaks the same language, Walmart, and all sorts of conveniences are right around the corner. Power usually works. Water usually works. You just, to replicate a lot of that, we have that right across the border from San Diego. And so, yeah, Radius International is the name of the school, and we've seen tremendous results. It kind of, Radius came into existence basically because of one statistic. A bunch of California pastors some brothers from other states as well, but a lot of guys from here, uh, missions pastors looked at why are so many of our missionaries heading overseas and not lasting? How come they're coming back to us so quickly? And they dove into it and the statistics, which continue to be true today, are 65 to 70 percent of all North American missionaries don't last longer than two years. And the reason for that isn't because they don't love Jesus. It isn't because they're not trained in certain things, but they're missing components of what it will take to see a church planted among an unreached people group. And so that was the genesis of Radius. And by God's grace, I was tied in with that organization. And so when we finished up in Yembe, they'd asked me to come back and take a leadership position there. And 2017, I stepped into the role that I'm in now. So that's just in a nutshell where we're at right now. That's really helpful. As you think about missionary training, this is maybe a little bit more of a practical question, but what are four or five, uh, three or four, however many you want to list of some of the most important things that you cover or train towards in your missionary training? You mentioned that it was kind of a 10-month period of training, 10-month season. So when you think through four or five of those key things, what stands out to you? Yeah, no, probably the... I mean, there's just a lot of components to it, everything from the size of their rooms to the food that they eat to the design of their morning workouts. Everything is designed and tailored down at Radius. But the probably the top four or five is number one, we're going to really hammer ecclesiology and soteriology. If you get those things right in missions, the doctrine of the church, what is a church, what isn't a church, and then you get what is the gospel, what is not the gospel, what does somebody need to understand, what do we need to, why is clear communication so much a big part of this to where if I don't know somebody's language, if I can't speak at a worldview level, not just at a market fluency level to where we can have a conversation and make friends and do stuff like that. That's one of the big things we hit pretty hard is soteriology and ecclesiology. And so that would be number one, theology of suffering, what this is going to take. The, the students graduating from Radius are expecting to be on the field 15, 20, maybe 30 years to see this accomplished and to prepare them for that, to think through the life of Adoniram Judson, to think through the life of John Payton, to think through Amy Carmichael, to do all of the different, to walk through the aspects of these guys, these ladies, their lives. Why did it take so long in these pioneer contexts? One of the things that the American church doesn't understand is there's a reason why the last 3,100, roughly 3,100 languages left with no gospel, no disciples, and especially no church. There's a reason why they're the last ones. They're very hard to get to. They have really challenging situations, really challenging governments. And for our ambassadors, as they head overseas, to have that theology of suffering, that is a big deal to us. We're going to talk through what it's like to bury a child overseas what it may cost in other ways so that when they graduate from there, their expectations have been calibrated correctly for what it will take not to start, 
not to just make disciples, but to actually see a church gathered, that's going to take something different. So that theology of suffering, there are other things that we do, mostly because we're dealing with younger people. We'll take away their internet for the first six months down there. They can send emails back and forth to their home churches and their families on Sunday for about an hour. There's a few other things that we do to replicate the environment. There's just there's a way that we're able to train that will help them understand what the next context will be like. So those are some of the things that we dive into. We have a lot of free resources that are given to us by Banner of Truth, Nine Marks, Desiring God, the guys at Grace to You. All of those books and resources are free for radio students. And so just giving them a lot of good books and especially good biographies to read, that, that's part and parcel to maybe some of the core components to Radius. That's really helpful and sounds to me very uh, thorough and very comprehensive. And so encouraged to hear about that training. As you think, this is another question that may be a little bit more practical, but it's a question that I, I get asked every so often, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. What ingredients, what, what qualities, what characteristics make uh, a good and effective missionary? Wow, that's a monster question. Um, I'd say first and foremost, man, that they, they love their Lord Jesus. And as they love their Lord Jesus, what we find, we have a lot of students that come to us from colleges, seminaries, but we have a lot of students more and more that are coming to us from secular universities. We have quite a crowd from University of Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M. And what we find is they got saved somewhere in their college experience and could not fathom that there are actually unreached people groups around the world that have nothing of the gospel in their language. And they're willing to walk away from their dreams, their hopes, their passions, the things that animated them before, and buy into what they see as their savior's passion. And that is a huge component to be able to walk away from what I see as the things that are most important to, to die to those things and to buy into something that is what my savior sees as most important. That, that's a huge component to it. Other aspects of that, a diligence, uh, that's something that we put a premium on. We grade our students at the end of each semester on nine points of character and competency. Discipline is a big factor. There's no way you get another language, let alone a second language. A gateway language is fairly easy to get, like Mandarin, Bahasa, Arabic. It's the secondary minority language of the unreached people group that's really challenging to get. So there's just, there's got to be a motor there. There's got to be a drive. There's got to be some sort of a push to get across the hump, so to speak. And so that discipline level would be another component. And then one of the things that we've found that is just, it was a bit of a shocker to us, but I've already mentioned the biographies to have potential missionaries reading good biographies, reading about John Payton, reading about William Tyndale, reading about William Carey, reading about uh, Betty Stamm, John and Betty Stamm, all of these different heroes of the faith that I would say, man, these are the ones who went ahead of us to catch that DNA. When they catch that, it's amazing. They can see themselves in that lineage of people who walked away from so much for the King's glory. That Those are maybe three components that we would say are, are pretty substantial. That's really helpful. I appreciate that. Earlier, you had mentioned, you know, one of the things that you guys hammer that you focus on in your training is ecclesiology just clearly talking through the doctrine of the church. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts a little bit on the role of the local church in missions training and preparation. Obviously, you're conducting a training school there. 
But I'd love to hear your thoughts on what's the role of the local church in training and preparing people for mission? Yeah, that's a great question. One of the things that I think is we're not terribly popular in certain circles, but we're very popular with local churches. Uh, Radius training is mostly because our first line, our kind of our dog in the fight is the local church. Uh, We're not training for agencies. We're not even training for the individual. We're training for the local church so that she can feel confident with her members going out. And so one of the greatest aspects of the program is that people come out, the candidates come out loving their local church more. And the churches that dive into their ecclesiology and the churches that take seriously sending their members out and having them elder qualified, having them, and again, a lot of these people are going to be in their 20s and their 30s, so maybe they're not all the way there, but their trajectory is that these young men, these young women are on that track to where we would say, these are people that we are fully confident with. There there used to be this idea in missions, and it's still unfortunate, but it persists a little bit, that these are our strangest people, our weirdest people. We wouldn't make them greeters in the church, so they'll be perfect heading to India or Indonesia or wherever. That's a bad idea. That's a really bad idea. But the churches that go, these are our best people. These are the ones that we hope someday will take the reins of the local church here. We're giving them our heart and soul. That's who we should be sending to the nations. And the ones who invest in their people to that degree, who help them understand their doctrinal statement, who allow them to sit in on elder and deacon meetings, who push them towards this would be something we really see that is important to the church, talking about the Great Commission and having you involved in that would be something that we would encourage. Those are churches we're always encouraged when churches of that caliber are sending us their members because, man, what they can do with that local church that's already got kind of their vision set in that direction is substantial. Amen and amen to that. I really appreciate that. I love the idea of being willing to send your best. Uh, This is not something that we're wanting to do for people that we don't want to deal with. We're wanting to train up and send out our best, our sharpest, our brightest. I I love that. I want to shift gears a little bit and move away from kind of the training aspect to just kind of global missions more broadly speaking. Uh, So obviously you've lived and served overseas. Now you're training missionaries. You you stay up to speed a good bit on what's going on. But as you think about global missions today, what encourages you? I would say probably seeing the local church starting to be more involved in the process. There's been a rise in the last 15 to 20 years, and I was unaware of it until I came back to the U.S. in 2016, but a rise in methodologies that are rooted in pragmatism and speed. And the local church is becoming aware of that. I think when we look in hindsight to some of the fallout from coronavirus, one of the silver linings to coronavirus is going to be that a lot of missionaries ended up coming home and a lot of churches ended up finding out what are what is our missionary actually doing on the field? And for those methodologies to come under the local church's scrutiny is so very important. We see every mission agency, all the major ones at least, coming down, recruiting they're recruiting for students down at Radius. Again, we're not a sending agency, so we see all of them and we get to hear some of the different things that are going on. But the, one of the greatest aspects, I think, of the last two or three years of seeing the local church dive into that discussion and go, these are our people first and foremost. They're not the agencies. They belong to their local body. And we're going to take a real stake in this. And so as the local church gets more involved in that, that's encouraging. I think some of the globalization that's happened has made younger people aware 
of their their role in the Great Commission. And I think some of that 65, 70% statistic has dawned on younger missionaries as well, dawned on churches. We need to be better equipped before we head overseas. Those are all very positive things, in my opinion. That's helpful. I want to kind of flip the question around on its head a little bit and kind of ask the flip side. As you think about global missions today, what concerns you? Still, again, that rise, and I think it's still rising, that pragmatism and speed-based methodology, those things are not going to go away unless local churches get more and more involved. That would be something that would be of great concern to us, just because, again, you're never going to reach to these last places. These We like to quantify them as language groups. People groups becomes too nebulous, but language groups is pretty objective. But to reach those last language groups, you're going to have to have people that are going to be rooted in the idea that incarnational ministry, living among the people, knowing their language, eating their food, seeing your kids grow up in that environment, all of those different aspects of being becoming part of that community, that's the only way you're going to see a lasting church planted that will outlive you and I and every one of our listeners. There's just that aspect to it. And so that speed and pragmatism methodology, it's taken deep hold in the sending agencies. That's something that concerns us greatly. And then having churches that recognize that meant to see the Great Commission accomplished, we're actually going to have to send people that are going to be equipped for that role. And that doesn't mean uh, another thing that we, we try and hit pretty heavy at Radius is not everybody's cut out to be a missionary. And that's okay. That's a good thing. And it's better that we find that out on this side of the ocean before they go overseas. And for churches to have that idea as well, that not everybody who has a willing heart, who loves the Lord Jesus, who is a wonderful member, is cut out for this. And that's okay. That's a really good thing to find that out. And so that would be maybe some of the concerns is that we we tend to send maybe a little too quickly. And we maybe could be a smidge more discerning on that. I think that's really, really helpful. I use something similar with the classes that I teach here at Southern. I tell them, you know, not everyone's cut out to be a missionary, just like not everyone's supposed to be a church planter. Not everyone's supposed to be a pastor, like the Lord equips and gifts people differently for different roles and assignments, and that's okay. And so the quicker that we can be aware of that and kind of see that, then the better off we're going to be in terms of the task that we're trying to fulfill. The next question is maybe a little bit more open-ended, and you can fill in the blank however you want. The biggest challenge in global missions today is blank. Oh, man. I mean, I feel like I'm maybe hitting the same button again, but I would say sending people that are qualified, sending qualified people. That That is a huge aspect of the Great Commission. There, not everybody is cut out for this. Again, I go back to some of these different biographies and the quality, like the the thousands of people that were gathering in the church that John Payton was a part of, and how aghast the elders and the leaders of that church were when he was walking away from it. He had a fruitful ministry. He was obviously elder qualified, and yet he walked away from that ministry to go overseas. He was well prepared for what he was going to be stepping into. I think of Adoniram Judson, and I think of so many in the faith that previous generations would say, don't send until they're ready. And I, I would just echo that. That'd probably be my biggest concern is that we send people, either they're biblically qualified, but they're not practically qualified, or they've got the practical skills, but they don't have the biblical underpinnings. They got to have both of them if they're going to stand the test of time. So that, that would probably be the biggest concern for me is qualified people heading overseas. 
Thanks for sharing. That's helpful. You know, some of the folks that are listening are people who are already serving overseas, but but some of the other ones are, are maybe people who are aspiring to be missionaries or, or to one day go and serve overseas. And so I have a question about advice or wisdom that you might share with aspiring missionaries. So let's say a recent college graduate or a young married couple, or maybe even a couple that's recently heading into retirement and looking to to leverage and maximize the years they have remaining and are interested in potentially serving overseas. As you think about those aspiring missionaries, what advice or wisdom would you share with them? Number one, I would say become a member of your local church. If you're not, be tied to the root of missions. The root of missions is your local church. The Great Commission was not given to individuals. It was given to the local church. And so to sever that, that's Radius has three qualifications for becoming a student. Number one, they have to be committed to going to an unreached, unengaged people group. Number two, they have to have a college degree. And then number three, they have to be fully recommended by their local church. That's the number one reason that we ask students to not come for a year, two years, sometimes three get involved and become a member of your local church. And so I would give that advice to everybody. That That's first and foremost. Uh, number two would be to read well, read good missions books. If you haven't read Let the Nations Be Glad, if you haven't read Conversion by Michael Lawrence, if you haven't read To the Golden Shore by Courtney Anderson or John Piper's Don't Waste Your Life, these are wonderful resources that aspiring missionaries should be reading, should be knowledgeable about being able to converse in, okay, what came before us? Why were these individuals successful? What is the cost that's associated with this? I think biographies and good books open that up. And then just a, a final one would be go to good conferences. There's the cross conference, which I appreciate so much in its emphasis on good theology. Good theology goes hand in hand with good missionaries. And as young people or individuals that are looking and being involved in other aspects of missions, good conferences help spur us on to think of things in a bigger way. And they help us find other people that have the same the same aspirations and maybe the same drive and love the same Savior. And so those would be three off the top of my head. Thanks for sharing that. This next question is maybe a little bit more personal, but uh, it's a question that I ask everyone that I interview. And here's the question. Day after day, week after week, and month after month, what keeps you doing what you're doing? And why are you giving your life to this work? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I mean, when I was in Yembe Yembe and we were slogging it out there, and even occasionally back here, it was more challenging, I think, in Yembe in some aspects. But I, I think that idea of being faithful to the end, I think that idea that Paul speaks of in Second Corinthians of running the race to the end, and now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing and to run that race faithfully, not because radius is so great, not because different aspects of this, the MBMBs need the word so bad, or the MBMB church needs to be grown up, but because I'm being faithful to what my God and Savior has commanded me to do. And someday I'm going to have to give an account for my life. And so that faithfulness component, being faithful to what I understand in scripture and continuing to walk in that day after day. I, I think that's the animating principle of myself and my wife's life. That's awesome. Thank you for that response. Last question for you. What is one thing you want everyone listening to this podcast to know or to do? Man, I would say to know uh, the Great Commission better, 
that would be a great thing to understand why Matthew 28, 18 through 20, why making disciples and planting churches are part of the Great Commission process. To understand that better, if we're talking about the missions world, that would be something uh, that I think would be tremendously helpful. And then I'll go back to the advice I gave to aspiring missionaries and read a good biography uh, to do that, to have every church member, to have every, every senior pastor, every missions pastor, every lay member of the church to read a good biography. Those, those things speak across the ages. And John Piper has won 21 Servants of Sovereign Joy. There's some good little succinct biographies and they're filling up the afflictions as the smaller book. Amy Carmichael's story, uh, Beauty for Ashes by Ian Murray. That's a fabulous one. I would say do that. That's a very helpful thing, not just for missions, but for your own edification as a Christian. Brooks, thank you so much for your time and for this conversation. Uh, it's been very encouraging for me. I hope you've enjoyed hearing from Brooks today. Please pray for him as he continues to teach, train, and write for the benefit of the church and the Great Commission. Pray for Radius and the work that they're doing, training new missionaries to serve around the world. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast and be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website www.sbts.edu slash bgs where you can subscribe to the show and learn more also if you have found these conversations helpful please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast be sure to follow us on facebook instagram and twitter for more this is amazon to the himalayas podcast